You are listening to Smokin' Theologians, a long-form conversation with hosts Alex Gonzalez and Preston Graham. Alex is a filmmaker, digital creative, and our designated layman. Preston is a church planter and pastor, author, and our theologian. This is Season 2, Episode 11. All right, we cheers. I want to get that shot. Do we do the cheers? Yeah, to get the feedback. Yeah. Is there this whole? I got the feedback. Oh, this is not right. Oh, this is not right, man. We we're really messing up here. Should I get some drinks? Scratch, cut. So yeah, this issue of government is one of many examples where churches, that's not a church. I mean, just to be a spectator without any kind of engagement and interaction and accountability in the life of the body of Christ, that's not even what a church, a church by its very word is assembling, but it's, you know, well, anyway, so the, so the thing that I think we need to just acknowledge, to be honest, is in a post-enlightenment culture or a modern culture that we live in, um, the assumptions of modernity is very anti-authoritarian in its very beginning. You know, it's it's this Cartesian revolution where we now believe truth resides within myself. It's my truth, you know, and it's subjective. And historically, pre-modernity, you know, we would submit our subjective feelings to an objective truth that's outside of us. Presumably, that's a truth given us by God through revelation, and that revelation through scripture, if you're a Christian. So that now I would not trust my subjective um, feelings as a basis for how I'd want to be governed and how I would discern truth. I would say, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna ask, we're gonna, we're gonna expect that there's gonna be revelation in the world and that God is revealing to us what is the truth through the scriptures, through Jesus Christ, of which now we conform our subjective and feelings to that. Well, now we're living in an era where that is absolutely rejected. In other words, that the assumption of government is that you, we need to be saved from ourselves somehow. And, and, that, and, and now, if you come and say, yes, you need Christ in your life, for you to be saved. And Christ needs to be in your life as a prophet, but also as a priest, and also as a king. The three, you know, instrumental marks of the church. And he does that now through his church that's visible, tangible, flesh on flesh, relational. And so with that, the reaction to that is say, hold it, no, you, you, don't, you don't get what's happening, pastor. We need to be saved from you thinking I need to be saved. In other words, that you're imposing upon me your truth. I don't, but I, with all due respect, I don't think that's the issue. I, mm. I, 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 I don't know. I think the issue is people's, in, people's perception that, well, you, the first two sentences you said, like, completely agree that, like, we need Christ to be the king, to be the priest. That's under Christian assumption. Yeah. Let's just go down the Christian assumption okay. without yeah. dancing around the bush. 
where does it in scripture say vis-a-vis a human to right. to to put that part of Christ if that makes sense yeah yeah you know and 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 because we're getting into dangerous waters and we've seen historically what that has led to um saying like I am the I am the mediator between you and God that's right that's right and 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 there was a huge reformation about that can't you argue that 2022 still what's the alternative what's the difference what's the alternative me alone in the woods with my savior that's it so you're left to yourself now what was the original sin lordship of my life it was but Christ rejecting is, christ god's authority yeah and a way that is um so that i could be left to my own authority as to discern what is right and wrong but i'm good and bad but i'm still but you're recognizing a i'm still recognizing christ as lord That's not right. the lord of my life so say lord your will be done send your spirit to go into me and to and to live but out the your assumption will. would be that you're going to be a church as unto yourself you're going to be your own church now think about that what would be the problem with that i mean i know the problem is that you can get you get you can get lost because <laughs> you know yourself and i know myself yeah, yeah you can get lost in the woods. i know that my heart's more deceitful than i could possibly sure. imagine get, i know that i can yeah. rationalize anything yeah. i could take scripture selectively i could take it without reading it with anybody else let's just think about wolves wolves travel in a wolf pack yeah they're much more susceptible to danger when they travel alone. I mean, some animals are different, but just to use the analogy, when you're in a pack, you could, what I think a benefit of having a church, at least a, a Christian community, let's not call it a church, a Christian community, we can get to the church, mm-hmm. is that if, 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 you're, if you're going off the rails, you have some accountability and someone to check. If I'm truly like a Christian mystic, if you want, and I'm in the woods and I'm praying, authentically and genuinely like i am lord i am serious take yeah. me and, and show me the way i can certainly he- see a scenario where every little thought in your mind you think is god right and that's where the devil i believe in the devil has, probably has a field day yeah of of little whispers and like oh do this and that and i can see how some people get erratic and then some people if you go down the rabbit hole so far some people could even become their own Christ. Or, so you could be making an argument for two things. Like a cult. One argument could be you're making an argument for no government. To all government, all power is corrupt and we need to be left to ourselves to govern ourselves. Yes, and I can do that with God insofar as I know God, understand God, read him rightly from scripture, whatever you want to say. You could argue for no government, which is anarchy, spiritual anarchy. Um, which is proven to be a worse than even a bad government, <laughs> you could argue. Um, and this idea that, hey, let, you know, just let me be, let me live my truth. I want to let you live your truth as long as you don't hurt me. Well, the problem is there's a domino effect. What I do does affect you, whether it's intentional or not. If I just buy everything I want to buy or do everything I want to do, there's a, there's a limitation of resources somewhere, somehow, that's gonna be, begin to infringe upon you. And now it's my power being asserted over your power. Whoever can best be empowered to do what we and wanna the, do. And the other danger is then you start becoming incredibly self-serving. Exactly. You start isolating yourself from people. Exactly. And yeah. And, and, and how I, does that glorify love? Yeah. That I'm really just self-love. We, we, we confuse love with self-love. Actually, even as love is meant to be more directed towards love of God, love of others, that's the great commandment, right? 
So yeah, there's a problem there. And then, but the other way you could argue, it, take what you said and argue is that, okay, so we need government, but now I want to have an unregulated government. I want to do it. I want to get together my little tribe and we're going to decide how to govern ourselves and use best practices, whatever you want to call it. Isn't that what every denomination did? No. That's why I'm a, I'm a big fan of denominationalism and, and I'm a real skeptic of non-denominationalism because non-denominationalism is, is a denomination. Yeah. They are governing themselves. Somehow they're doing it. But the problem I have with non-denominationalism is they're doing it as if they don't have a denomination. Sure. It's like, you know, everyone has faith, but the problem we live in our secular society is they don't think they have faith, but they do. They're living on faith assumptions every day but they're untested, they're untried, they're, un, they're unregulated. So what we need about government is not a more laissez-faire view of government. We need to be much more intentional about government, church government, and we need to be intentional about going and, Ooh, and baby, seeing how- Baby, sorry. <laughs> you got yourself? <laughs> I got myself good. You didn't burn it though. No, no, no. So yeah, I think the, it's, it's a very naive thing to say, okay, but we don't need denominations. Well, denomination is simply the idea that we, we confess or we, we have a denomination, like a, a, a number is a denomination, right? We have something that defines what we believe is governing. And we need to go where to get that. We should go to the scripture. And so what I would say is you're right. Everything you said is reasons why we need to awake, become awakened to the reality that everyone's going to be governed somehow. So now why don't we do it intentionally with the scripture? And why don't we read the scripture with the church for 2,000 years rather than my own little tribe by myself? Let's read it with the rest of the church for 2,000 years. And you have a history of reading the church and a history of people going to the Bible to figure out how we govern ourselves. And yeah, there's three, I would say, main branches of government that have emerged through 2,000 years of history. Can we go through them? Just yeah, real, one's called the prelacy or the episcopacy. It's the idea that, that there's a hierarchy of, it, it's primarily focused on the bishop or, or, you know, who is anointed of God through which he has power to govern the church. You know, it's often done with councils and things of that nature. But the prelacy is more of a hierarchical form of government. You have a congregational form of government, which is like a democracy. And then you have what we call representative form of government, which is going to be, you know, what I hold to personally, which is a government by councils. Councils of those who are at once both approved by God through his scripture by a council of peers who, who examine them, i.e. they're ordained but they're also going to be approved by those who would be governed. That they would, and, and we get this from Moses, when Jephro said, go to the households, find the heads of house, choose from among yourselves the heads of households that have good character, and he gave them a little qualification list there and in, 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 uh, in where it was in Exodus. And then be, those would be approved by Moses, who was the prophet of God, and they would then become rulers over these, over the various iterations of, of what we call presbyteries, which is elder governed. It's, these were the elders of the people who were governing, spiritual elders who were governing the people and the various 
council levels. And so, and you see that same thing in the New Testament, I think, hmm. like in Acts 15, when there was a debate within a local church, they appealed to the Council of Jerusalem. And you see uh, these presbyters or these elders, plural, that consisted of both the bishop pastor or the pastor elder and what you could call the, the ruling elder, um, who was a lay elder. So you had the lay ruling elder and you had the bishop elder, the teaching elder. And that's what we call Presbyterianism or Reformed. A lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of congregational churches rule, govern that way. Um, so you have, like I said, prelacy, which is Episcopacy, you know, Roman Catholic, uh, some others. You have Congregationalism, which is more modern and modern day evangelicalism, honestly, it's, but Congregationalism as well. It's irony that, that even in the Puritan Congregationalists, though, they were governed by elders, a council of elders. They just, the difference between Congregationalism and Reformed, Presbyterian, Lutheran, whatever, is that they don't see themselves uh, with an appellate court, so to speak. They don't see themselves as organically united to a regional church or a global church in an organic way. So those are the three. Prelacy, representational. You know, you know what stands council. out to me, what I think is fascinating is like those three are almost direct. And let me let me paint a picture real quick. Yeah. Those three di are almost like direct rep analogies to governments in, in, in itself. You know, you can think of a high a king and hierarchy. You can think of and that'd be more of a direct, uh, that'd be the first type. That'd be more of like yep. with the Catholics. What was that word you said? Episcopacy is another word for it. Episcopacy? But prelacy is sort of Pre the technical term. Prelacy. Uh, the second would be more like, I guess you would call it like direct democracy or like tribalism, that concept of like little. Well, tribalism, but yeah, the first one, direct democracy. Uh, little direct democracy or the idea of like little tiny towns or city states. Every church, independent from other churches, yeah. that's key. Yeah. City See, prelacy and, and let's call it Presbyterianism in the true sense, um, we both agree that we are not an independent congregation, that we are a congregation that's organically united to a regional and global congregation in the way that even in America you have an appellate system in a court, for instance. If, if a local city has a problem, they can appeal this debate to a higher council. The state, and then the And, the and that goes all the way up to the Supreme Court. And um, the third is a representative democracy, it sounds and like. The third is basically, yeah, but now there are different ways there. You really have four forms now, because you have this sort of congregational view. Today, especially in many of the non-denominational courts, or, or so, particularly sometimes the more charismatic churches, it's really a prelacy. Sure. Where there's this pastor who is anointed of the Spirit, and often with that comes some pretty close associations, if not outright associations, with him being a prophet that's receiving revelation from God directly. And um, and so yeah, there's there's that. But so but here's the thing. I think back to where we were going with that. There's within Christianity, there's a lot that those three major denominations of governing agree with. One, that we need to go to scripture to find our governing and to, and to, and to organize ourselves in a way that Christ organizes by the apostles. And there's a lot there about that. And even if you, even when the three, there's a kind of 
at least with some, there's a shared sense that um, those who govern must be regulated in their power and regulated by scripture and in a manner in which it, it does not fall to a self-appointed. They all agree this is not self-appointed, that there is a way that God has given us through the scripture based on that apostolic foundation or groundwork that they gave us that says that it's never self-appointed. It must be done in a manner that at least is consistent with 1 Timothy, where it talks about the succession where a previous generation of those approved by the previous generation going all the way back to Christ are those who can authorize you to do this. My concern with non-denominationalism, we've broken from that apostolic succession. Um, and and in a way that, that I think can be dangerous. Sure. So that's sort of the governing issue. But, but again, I still think, back to my original, I do think we need to at least address the fact that it's gonna feel very counterintuitive today. Um, there was a time, think about in Israel, where they begged for a king. We they still, were begging we, for a we king. We still do, let's be honest. Well, we, I just think there is a, there is a philosophy that's very current that I think more and more you hear, I will do my truth, you do your truth, just as long as we don't hurt each other. And we bring that then to a church and it becomes that I just go and I pick and choose what church, what part of the church I wanna go to. I don't, I'm not accountable to anybody. I'm gonna, like I go to an event to get something good. I might want an inspirational talk. I want some whatever. I politely disagree. You think people really want government? Yeah, I mean, even the most, and let me go down the rabbit hole for a second, because when you're saying that, I don't, I really just don't think that's the reason why people, I think people are obsessed yeah, with government. I think people these days are obsessed with government. So hear me out. If yeah, I want to hear that. It's cool. A, a secular folk, like, I, yeah. uh, for me, I, I, you can never, I don't believe you can truly be like apolitical, if you will, but to me, it was just never the biggest deal, but be, because I've always seemed I serve a higher kingdom. I can, in a way, I care. Don't get me wrong. I, I do care about local government. I do care what's going on in the world. But, but we're talking about the church right now. Do you down, think people want church government? I no, no. I'm talking, in general, people who, who you would describe might have a problem with church government. They don't have a problem with government itself because those are, the, in my opinion, those are the same people who are obsessed with government, who are obsessed with political leaders, who are who follow all the news, all the atrocities, all. These are the activist types. These are the people yeah, marching on the streets. No, I can concede that political. I can certainly concede that we are highly politicized. They want and a, and we treat government all, like messiahs. That's all they care about is government. But I think in the church, there's an assumption that but they want a king because they don't care about the government of the real quick. They they want a figurehead. I was saying to a friend recently, we should be a monarchy and have. Uh, have the president be really boring, nerdy guy who is just really qualified, and have The Rock and Oprah be our figureheads, because that's a whole other conversation. But we. But I think it's because they have a very secularized. I think you are speaking truth to the reality that we have more or less replaced the church with the state. The state has become very important. And so, yeah, I think you're right in a. In the state, it's treated like a messiah, and we are very, very invested but why? in state government. That's now, a, hold it, yeah. because what I'm going to say is we have a very low view of the church. We don't believe in the church being a divine institution, really. We just think it's a human thing, I think most people think. 
see what we're trying to say is that wants money and 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 power and and it, yeah and th- and that's right and so we see even the abuse or the unregulated government of the church that's pr- that's the problem for at least 50 60 70 years it's been a total freak show because people have not been going be, treating the church seriously and therefore they don't treat the issue of church governing seriously they think it's we don't need it so we have a very low view of the church. We don't believe or confess in the church as a divine institution anymore, most people. They just see it as if something that, that may be a best practice at best, and we go to it as we want it, as we need it, and as we select out of it what we want it to do. It's not like belonging to Christ. See, we're starting with the premise that we don't have the fullness of Christ without the church. That's what we think scripture teaches. And if I believe that, then the church is an essential element of the gospel. It's not a voluntary organization anymore. It is an involuntary organization in the sense that as a Christian, I am, I am commanded to be a member of a church. And that's exactly what Hebrews says. Do not forsake the assembly together as is a habit of some, but all the more, you know, encourage one another to participate in the life of the church. You see the word membership in Ephesians chapter two, that we are members of the household of God. We're not just participants or seekers or, or you know, audiences. We are actually organically, covenantally part of a church like you are a marriage. Obviously not the same implications, but, and with that then, if you come at it with that assumption, like our first episode talked about, now it gets really serious. Because, okay, what kind of government? What's, what's the extent of their power? What's the limit of their power? You're gonna be very concerned about the extent and limit of power. And you're gonna to go to the scripture and you're gonna say, well, where does the, where's the church not allowed to act and speak? Can the church take away your temporal house if you, if you disobey? Does the church have any temporal authority? The Bible says no. It can't intrude upon you. You could, you could disagree with the governing of the church, and we can't come and take your land. We can't. Now we, we can. can't. We now can't we take can. a gun out and, and and force you to submit. We can't. The Christian Church. Yeah, we don't. Our sword is the Word of God. You know, um, it's our land to, is the Promised Land, kind of thing. I think it's good to know that this is from a, a Christian mm-hmm. viewpoint because there are other. I was talking to a friend recently who came. Ah, I don't know if I want to throw this under the boat. Who came from another faith where it was incredibly oppressive to the point where. I was like, yeah, leave that, you know, yeah. down to if you denounce the faith, you're you're executed or you're in prison or you. Yeah, unfortunately, with the with the confusion of church and state historically, which was part of Christendom, um, with the with when the state when the church had the power of the state, we call that a rationism. During that was one of the big issues that was being debated in the 17th century is does this king have any authority over the church? And at that time it did, which means we could put you in jail for heresy. They could put, they could- Stone me. They could do all that stuff temporally. And the Reformation was a lot about being derationating, if you will, the church. It's taking that idea and say, no, even in Calvin's Geneva, there was a separation of church and state the church has spiritual power. The state has temporal power. Those are two 
divinely instituted governments, but they're like two planets circling the same sun. They're just two different planets relating to the same God, hopefully, you know. God the creator, God the redeemer. The church is a redemptive community. The state is God's, is a creation, you know, temporal uh, thing. So it's very important that we do that. Um, but I do think we should at least assume, let's not assume that, can you, you asked me, can we go to scripture and say, yes, God has appointed government in my life through the church. And there's so many passages you, I could turn to. First of all, it's, it's explicitly stated in Matthew 16, where he says, upon this rock, the confession of Christ that he's the Messiah, or Peter that Christ is the Messiah, upon this confession, I will build my church. And he gives the church the power, it says, uh, to loosen on earth that which is loosed in heaven, to bound on earth that which is bound in heaven. And very clearly he's talking about discipline there. The keys, they call it the keys of the kingdom of God. And, um, and so you see it in there, you see it in John 21, where it gives the church the power to forgive sins and to, uh, to remit sins. And, to, and what he's not talking about is the power to save you. He's talking about the power to make judgments about your relationship with God as a governing thing. Um, and then there's all these passages that command you to do things that if there weren't a government in the church, you couldn't do it. And I could just go on and on with those. I have them right here if you want me to show I think the, the thing that stands out to me, and I want to segue in a second, but the thing that stands out to me, which I, which I like, is the idea of thinking of the church membership as a 2,000-year situation where we're going back to generations and seeing how they govern because everybody could read the same scriptures and get a different interpretation and say look it says it right there yeah and and, and create a government around those assumptions and get enough people and i, I think that's kind of what's happened but before we do annie did you uh, did you have a question yeah i was going to say that doesn't government in the church imply Making judgments. That's right. That's right. But do you want Jesus to make judgments for you? Would you Would you want Jesus to judge you? What's the question? So I can repeat it. We don't want to judge. We don't want a church judging us. This is what I mean. Off, off screen, the question: the government implies judgment. And who, and who, who well, we would say Christ can, but then how is Christ going to actually affect that in my life if he's in heaven? How's he going to do that? You see? And the question is, well, he could do it according to your own interpretation of scripture, or you submit yourself to that institution which Christ established to make judgments, just like we do in the, in the civil sphere. We wouldn't say, I mean, who would possibly say, I don't want any any earthly institution judging me about right and wrong, I should be able to do whatever I think is right and wrong, even if I think I'm doing it for God. No, we have a state and they have, they are authorized. In fact, they are commanded to make judgments about whether we're doing what is right or wrong within the temporal sphere. And we call that laws. And those laws are executed by police people and all of, off we go. And they're, and they're adjudicated in courts. Well, all of that, 
We ask, if you do believe in the church as a divine institution, like we do the state, you're gonna have to have all that same stuff in the church. But here's the key. There are significant limits um, to what kind of things a church can do and how. So for instance, let me just give you an example. So all church discipline or government applied to people's lives, um, they have to always meet the, 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 the following four criteria. One, they're, according to scripture, they must be uh, motivated for the glory of God, for the reclamation or reclamation or, or the, re the restoring of God's people to God. It needs to be an act of mercy. It needs to be done mercifully. Um, it's to protect the rest of the congregation from the abuse of self-governing. So it's got to be for the interest of the congregation. And, and, um, and these things there are very, very important. And then there's a very careful process that's outlined. It, it begins in Matthew 18, where we don't just do the, all this thing openly in public. It starts in a very private phase. So it's gentle. There's a real gentleness about it. You discipline. start in the you're private phase. Discipline. Yeah, if you're going to exercise government in the form of making judgments, I see you you're doing something yeah. that is, we believe, going to be harmful to your relationship with God. That's the motive, remember. We love you. We want to help you do what you profess as a Christian you want to do, which is to live in intimacy and love with God. So we're going to come to you privately. We're going to say, hey, blind, you know, you, you've said, you know, if, you know, you're doing this thing and we want to help you go to the scripture. Remember, we have no, the church has no authority. They're not a legislative body like, say, a Congress is. The, the Constitution is in the Bible. So the first thing is your governing body of the church has to bring scripture and say, here in the scripture, this is, is revealed as something that's a wrong thing for you to do. Um, but again, our motive is that you'd experience the gospel. It's not to be a police. It's not to be a judgment society. It's meant to be a restoring society. That's a total different motive. So you are defining discipline as government enacted. Yeah, it's so an act of government. I, I, you could call it some other things, but yeah. Maybe, maybe we, maybe we in another word because you're talking off air. Oh. Yeah, discipline kind of is. Yeah, I agree. I think discipline's a great thing. I think, right, we, we celebrate folks who are, we always say like a, a person who is super successful, if you quote unquote, or He's disciplined, does, but that's some, a different does, sense. does some kind of, that's a discipline. So um, we're talking about discipline more like a parent, a child. Okay. Like a, a consequence to actions. Yeah. Discipline though. So now that's another thing. Would so that be what called it, a punishment? Well, discipline begins with just instruction. It's just, you, you're under discipline every time you hear a sermon. You're under discipline every single time you're in a Bible study. Anytime someone comes to you and prays with you, that's the part member of the church and a, a, a governor, at least of the church, and brings scripture to you and helps you understand it. In other words, it's an instructional thing. Then there's also the form of discipline. It's a watching over. It's a prevenient thing. It's something that you know. It's we call it prevenient discipline. And that sense, you're um, someone's going to come and warn you. Hey, I don't know if this is what you're thinking, but I just want to warn you that in scripture, that's a description of what we call sin. And we assume if you're a Christian that all sin is self-destruction. It's not like there's any sin 
that you would want, if we understood the consequences of sin, which the devil would love for us not to, to see, but if we understood it, we'd know that all sin is ugly, all sin is destructive, all sin just corrupts our society, corrupts us. God doesn't give laws from which the church governs by those laws. He doesn't give laws just serendipitously. He doesn't just say, yeah, I just, you know, I want to have some power here. I'm going to give a law. Every law of God is good. The psalmist says, oh, how I love thy law. Because it, it, it's the very source of our flourishing in God's kingdom. I want to go back to, I've never thought of that before, of the concept of discipline every time I am in a sermon. Yeah. That's because I've been in sermons that I'm like, uh, well, it, it can I, come I in different if, forms. If I may, I yeah. think that like I was right to reject yeah. that teaching. So, and and that, praise God, that, that came from a lot of context and a lot of under. I don't want to glorify myself, but just a lot of research and a lot of like history. So when when I when I hear preaching, if that makes sense, that seems a little, for example, prosperity preaching or. You know, some things are just so like you're, outliers. So you're, you're, you're making a great case for why all authorized, the church? All authorized preaching or all preaching and governing, which is a part of preaching, all of it should be what? Examined, yeah. tested. Yeah. It says test the spirits. That's the whole purpose of this ordination and apostolic succession conversation we had last week. Yes, sir. So you're right. There's a lot of self-appointed or even with my little tribe appointed you know, sort of authority, but I want to be, cons I'm concerned. So for instance, if someone, you started off saying, well, I want to start a denomination. Can well, I, the first question yeah, I would have asked you is, I got you. where's the, I mean, is that a little bit arrogant? Have you really believed that after 2000 years, Wasn't that there, no one has gotten the truth on the Bible? But wouldn't, wouldn't every genesis of every denomination, wouldn't there be some naysayers like, isn't that arrogant? Yeah. Hear me out. It could be. Can I tell you what my denomination would be about? I think I you'd know. like this. I think you'd like All it. Right. it. It flies. I would want, and this is a joke. I'm. I, this is truly yeah. a joke. I'm just to, to yeah. paint a picture. I'm really a big fan of um, fighting and like boxing. Of what? And, fighting. Of, okay. of, of boxing, MMA, the sport, and especially MMA. There's a there's a nutritionist. There's a wrestling coach. There's a striking coach, and all these types of different types of coaches come together to influence the the fighter right. and all nine times out of ten unless they're just like a freak of nature the the great fighter is the one who really humbles themselves and listens to their coach even if they have some kind of ego and, and i think fighting is a great example because it's hard to not have an ego when you're in the under the limelight and the lights so if if i had a denomination or a suggestion would be even more discipline would be every member has a couple of different appointees that are watching over, watching over their 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 stately life, watching over their marriage, watching over. So, so what you're saying is you would just like it to coaches. be as much as life on life as possible. I and every sphere of life, I want accountability. Yeah, good. So that's great, uh, I think. But I want to go to the scripture and make sure that is there a. Does scripture prescribe, does scripture design the church in order to have, let you have that? The answer is gonna be yes. That's why we have, a, that's why we believe there should be a plurality of elder governors. Let's call them shepherds, elders, um, you know, whatever. 
Um, yeah, we actually do believe in the scripture that there, to, there ought to be a plurality of, of governing elders. All of those elders submitting one to another in the scripture and, and ultimately to God. And yeah, and there would be visitations, there would be interactions, you may be assigned to a particular elder. There could be a lot of ways you could form that out in does the life that of the congregation. Does that happen right now? Because if yeah, I may, happen, well, at least in our church, hypothetically, it does. Well, it, and, but because it seems, I've never, I don't feel like I've ever been disciplined mm-hmm. by a pastor or somebody to really investigate my inner workings, and maybe that's my own fault for not. Well, it depends giving. what you mean by discipline. Have you ever? I mean, we've had tons of conversations where you're being disciplined, but not in the. It's not because you're in trouble. It's because we're going to the scripture together and we're studying it. And with the help of someone who has been authorized by God in his church, not infallibly, we all are fallible, but again, just the fact that we're not perfect doesn't mean he hasn't instituted it. And that's why there's a process of accountability with the shepherds as well. Um, What does that look like day to day is I guess my question in like the life of a believer is that pastoral counseling? Well, you took, that... a, you took a vow when you joined our church. Um, and in that vow, you said you would submit yourself to the government of the church. And the church has a government called a session. And that session consists of pastors and ruling elders. We, we call them in our denomination. You, other denominations have other things. And, just, and then how that works out systematically is you have access to the pastor and his teachings and there can be pastoral visits and cares and you have access to them as course. But you also have elders, elders who've been assigned over every one of our life groups. Every member in our church is assigned a life group, which means that you will typically have someone who knows you, who's involved in your life. And you know, our goal is that every person in our church should be visited at least once by an elder as a kind of prevenient thing. Uh, how are you doing? Let's see if we, is there anything going on? There's a married life you're struggling with. Let's try to get things before they metastasize, in other words. And then, on the other hand, if if, 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 if word got out that maybe there's old Alex man and there's kind of a rumor going on that he's doing this, well, the elders, if they got wind of that, would probably do an investigation and say, well, let's go. But they do it, they would do it with a benefit for you, not against you. That's the key. It's got, all of this has got to be gospel-centered. And that's often not the case. It's not about coming to judge you and to condemn you. It's to restore you, to love you, to make you to flourish. And there'd be a real patient process as long as you're open to meeting with me. Let's say it got, I got wind privately as your pastor that you were doing something that was unbiblical. I would come to you first. I wouldn't go to the elders first. I'd come to you. And I'd say, hey, bro, I'm hearing this. Is this true? Yeah, it kind of is. Well, can we uh, talk about that? Yeah, let's talk about that. You know, and we talk. Let's say that after that conversation, you're still not convinced, though, that it's a wrong thing to do. As long as you're teachable, as long as you're willing for me to, I'll keep it at that private level. I'll, well, okay, let's talk about it again. Let's go get a beer next week and let's talk about it again. And we might. But at some point, it might come to the place where, you know what? I'm not making any headway. And I've gone to the scripture with you. You're just not seeing it or whatever. Um, at that point, the, the, uh, Matthew 18 says, well, go get another elder or go get another member and let's sit down with you and see if we together can mediate this. Sure. And eventually we'd bring you to the whole section, the church, the church, the session acting on behalf of the church. We'd never bring you to the whole congregation. 
This isn't a scarlet letter. We don't see that in Bible. Um, but there would be some manner. And then what happens if you go to the session and you confess your sin? Well, the first thing the session would do is take you to the gospel and, and show you why you're absolved. They, they would then come to you and say, well, do you have faith in Christ for forgiveness of sins? I really do. Do you believe, you know, all the stuff that we talk about in the gospel? I do. Well, we would right there say, okay, we, you know, are you willing to, with our help, begin to endeavor not to do this? In other words, we're not gonna ask you to be perfect. Are you willing to endeavor? Are you willing to work at it with us? We'll, we'll help you, we're on your side. Let's, maybe I can meet with you every week, we can pray together. You go, yeah, I'm willing to do that. And we'd say, okay, you show evidence of genuine repentance and faith in Christ. We're gonna absolve you, we're gonna lay hands on you, we're gonna hug you. Might even kiss you. We're going to just say, brother, we want you to know you are right with God. You're right with our church. That's our goal. It's always to bring you to the gospel where you can experience God's grace again in a new and fresh way. That's got to be the goal of everything. Now, let's say that doesn't work. We, we come and you're not willing to confess your sin. And we've now talked with you as a whole session and done everything we know to do to show you. Then we're going to probably censure. There'll be a censure. We're going to, come, we're going to sit down. We're going to adjudicate your situation. We're going to decide whether we think you, you really are guilty of this thing. And if so, we're going to come back and say to you, and it's the form of a warning. We're going to give you a censure. We're going to say, we admonish you. You know, the scripture has that in the Bible, by the way. It says all scripture is profitable for what? Correction, reproof, etc. So we're going to reprove you, basically. We're going to say, brother, we, we have declared, as we've looked at the scripture together, that you are committing the sin of lying. And we want to ask you to repent of that sin. If nothing else, maybe just trust us, since that's what you swore to do. That's what submission is. At some point, trust that with the help of Scripture, with Scripture, and with the help of the church reading the Scripture for 2,000 years, we are going to declare this to be a sin. And to help you in your blindness, you're going to say, okay, you know, I do trust you, man. I love you, man. I know you love me. I'm going to or women, whatever, and I'm going to submit to the life to the church on this. The church has spoken ex cathedra, in other words. And if that doesn't work, we might suspend you from the table. That's another level. And what we're really saying is, it's just a warning. It's just like, okay, we're suspending you from the table because we want you to get the idea that if you continue like this, it's beginning to raise the question whether you're really a Christian. Yeah. If you're not willing to submit to his lordship. that has been shown in scripture. And in the last censure is called excommunication. Suspensions at indefinite time, just giving you time to repent. The last one is we're going to say, you know what? We're going to make a judgment that you're not a Christian. It's just a judgment. It's not making you go to hell. It's meant in, and it's found in first or second Corinthians five. It's meant to be this, this wake up call for you where you are literally, it says delivered over to Satan. And what that means is you no longer have the covenant community in your life. You, we would still want you to come to church like any unbeliever. Please keep coming to church if you want. Usually you won't, you know, and, and we're hoping that this warning will get your attention and you'll turn and be restored to God through the gospel. So that's sort of the laid it out for you, I think, what you're asking for. Sure. Is that it? It is. And I'm, I, know, I know you and I have talked about this, but I'm, I'm glad you took the time to go through that because that's not obvious. Yeah. But see, that's all been carefully and choreographed not, and in scripture and that seems unique it shouldn't be experience, though it shouldn't be for my for my experiences that's a very unique thing yeah um and i know you know again you what's, what's yeah yep. what's interesting is that well even before i go forward i still feel like there's a lot 
Let's go. Go ahead. Let's we can take it. Well, I mean, it's getting good. It is getting good. I mean, we can cut out some stuff. You know, we I think to. sometimes on the show, I think one of the things I've noticed is that we talk a lot about the problems. What are but the know, solution? What are the solutions? Like, what are we? What well, are I think we, I just laid it out, right? You, let, you left, a, but you you laid out a, a blueprint of like an ideally healthy church solution. We started this saying that like a lot of folks are uh, anti-church government. Is maybe maybe this is a part of solution? Is to explain what church government is, or explain the process right. of 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 disciplining. Um, I still think that there's another word I'm looking for that's not discipline. Yeah, I'm, where, I'm, I agree with you. The word discipline is archaic. Yeah. It used to mean what a father and mother does to a child in a very loving, yeah. accepting way. It could be. It's actually an athletic term in and, the Bible, well, for me, and it's like yeah. a coach. It's someone who's for sure. Do, your your metaphor was and, very good. And for me, it's it's one of the things I struggle in my life is I, to be honest, I didn't grow up with a lot of discipline. From my parents so mm-hmm. i grew some bad habits um that i'm still wrestling with today and i sometimes there there are seasons in my life where i'm incredibly disciplined i wake you up you just remind me of something yeah i wake up at 5 a.m and i do 100 sit-ups well, see, that's self-discipline but, that's not what we're talking about with discipline now but yeah but it's nothing's not interwined i mean because yeah. it's like that self-discipline I believe will help you create a healthy, flourishing routine that will never that that will prevent you from ever going to that other form of more judiciary yeah. discipline. But before all of that, can I can I, you yeah. go back to your, your your parent thing? You just remind me of something that might be a really excellent way to explain this. So when I was a young kid, probably around ten ish, eleven or nine, maybe I don't know what it was. My mom and dad were having this big argument in the bathroom. And I'm walking down the hall, and I hear them arguing, and I was struck by the fact that they were arguing about what my dad was doing to us in terms of discipline. It was a, they were arguing about disciplining the kids. And I just happened, it's unbelievable that this is coming up right now. I've not thought about this for 50 years. But I very distinctly, I can see the whole thing playing out. I'm sitting over there kind of hiding, listening to this conversation. And my dad said to my mom, they know that because I do this, that, that I love them. He, 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 he said it a little different. I can't remember quite the exact words, but it's like, you know, they know, you know, I know that they know and they, that they, they, feel, they feel love that I'm that invested in their life to do this harsh, this, this tough love. He might've used that term, I don't know. And it resonated as true because my mom had never been involved in me like that. She was wonderful mom in a lot of ways. She's my philosopher in, in, in residence. We'd talk all night, but she would just never do that kind of stuff. And we had total, and then when they got divorced, we had total freedom. I'd ask for a cigarette, she wouldn't even think about it. Yeah, yeah, sure, you thinking that we were gonna just do something fun with it as a kid. She was pretty naive actually. But my point is, is that I think we all know intuitively that if God cares, he's not gonna leave us here as orphans. And that's the last word that Christ said in Matthew after he had instituted this church in Matthew 16, after he'd instituted church discipline in Matthew 18, the reader can go back and read it. He gives a quorum even, he says, hey, when, do you, when can you judge as a session? 
that there's something wrong. It has to be a quorum of at least two or three, you know, bring two. And it's right there in Matthew 18. It's that explicit. And I remember the fact of the matter is a parent that's uninvolved in doing tough love, honestly, as a parent that, that even the kid would know down deep, they don't seem to care. Those who spare the rod hate their children. Exactly, exactly. There you go. And again, I don't want to talk about the rod and what that means, but don't take it necessarily to mean beating kids. <laughs> but the point is, is that, yeah. And so I think at the heart of discipline is love. And the heart of government is that God said in Matthew 28, and lo, I'm with you until the end of the age. And you're going to ask the question, how, how are you with me, really? That sounds so hypocritical because you're leaving the earth. Oh, I'm sure. with you, yeah. he said, till the end of the age. And you're leaving the earth. Well, that's what all of John chapter 14 through 21 is about, about the ascension ministry of Christ, how the Holy Spirit would come and be united to the apostles and then the church which the apostles formed in this apostolic succession where you can rightly say in, with, and through the church properly organized by scripture according to Christ, that's key, not self-organized, but properly organized under the, the foundation of the apostles with Christ the cornerstone, you can be assured that God is really still with you and he cares. And when he sees you going in a way like any good parent would see a child in a way that's gonna be self-destructive or destructive to this beautiful kingdom he's building or even destructive to your family, the church, he's gonna intervene in your life. But how would he do it? Is it gonna be just this invisible spirit talking to me when I'm out in the camp? No, because that's not a I think tested send, spirit. I think it will send people. That's that's right. It's not a it's not a it's not a tested spirit. There been, it's gotta be tested. How's it gonna be tested? By those who were themselves tested by this foundation qualifications on it goes. So I don't I think we have to be it's it's an act of love that God would not leave us here without his presence, without his loving fatherly discipline. And it can be love. And, in, and we, I think we yearn for it. Someone to take, take love. Uh, it goes like back that. to the first episode of this. I, I just yep. yearn for one day God to manifest in my, in my room and say, this is you what go. you got to do. And I think a lot of the resentment in my early walk I had towards God is like, where are you? Obviously, I knew he was everywhere, you know, but, but it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't until I, I met some really strong believers who, yeah. who led me yeah. certain ways. And I, Paul said to them, you know, you want to know that I am the ambassador of God. I'm coming here so that now you can know that God is with you. He sent me to you. Well, in some ways, every person who takes the vow of submission to Christ as a governor of the church, there are a lot of, there's like, I think in our denomination, we have like 10 vows we take to do that, about our loyalty to scripture, our loyalty, all this stuff. Um, and Every time God brings a, a government, every time God establishes a government in the life of a community is proof that God has not forsaken you, that God sees you. And when I, whenever we ordain, that's one of the things, when I've led some ordination services, I'll always kind of start with that. I'll say, you know what? God must really love you because he's raised up from among you those who would govern on his behalf. And that's an evidence that he's not left you. To be without those governors is to be evidence that maybe God's rejected this congregation. You could say it that harshly. And you see that all through scripture. 
People without shepherds are people without God. There's a whole history of that in the prophets that Those to are be without words, a shepherd Preston was Graham. to be without God, the shepherd. Those are definitely fighting words. What do you mean? That rough, that, that, that's going to ruffle feathers. Yeah, but that's the truth. I mean, it's, it's how else is God in your life if he can't talk to you? He can't be real time in your life. I mean, the abstract God is not a very powerful God. He's got to be real and present, even if we believe it's a mediatorial presence, not, a me, not an immediate presence. And it's a fallible presence, but, but at least insofar as it's true and faithful to the scripture, now it's organized. But that gets us back to the beginning. I would say it's important to have collar on versus collar off situations because you can get into, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you just look through medieval history where you're in an office, you're anointed, you are representing the oh, Lord. Oh, it went way off the, the you, turf. You can start getting really power yeah, hungry absolutely. and then think your, your word is, in, with all due respect, your word becomes infallible because I'm appointed by and God. that's why it's so scary and to be non-denominational start, right there. Yeah. Because I want to know that I am under authority. You know, yes. you can appeal what I do to our session, to our presbytery, to our general assembly, and you would get justice. If I abuse you with my power, then there sh we believe God has set into place a, an appellate system. You see it in Acts 15. That's the apostolic foundation. When there was a debate, and between the Jews and the Gentiles, and that debate got lifted up to the Council of Jerusalem where the regional church came together. They listened to the situation, they made a judgment. They wrote a letter, it's right there in Matthew, it's right there in Acts, as it, telling them Here it is, here's their judgment, and the whole issue was resolved. Because they were governed. Yet they were governed by a means which you could go to the scripture itself to discern how we govern. So it's incredibly dangerous, incredibly dangerous. The more we pretend that there's no government in the life of a congregation, sure. the more we act like, oh no, no, we don't believe in all that church government stuff. Really, that is dangerous. Because there's someone making decisions about what you do every week. There's someone making decisions about what you do in worship. There's someone making decisions about when, what's the terms of membership, if there is even membership. If there's no membership, there's no one really who you've taken a covenant to and they've taken a covenant to you. That's a whole nother conversation. So there's no regulation without membership. Sure. It's like there's no one regulate. When you take a, gov a, a membership vow, you're taking a vow assuming that the governors have also taken a vow to God as to how they would govern as directed by God. And there you go. But you take all that vow out, you take all that, that's taking accountability out of the governors. And now it's just, oh, he's, he's spirit-filled, anointed of God. That's where you go, that's where all the crap starts to happen. What? What is it? <laughs> UT. I don't have anything now. Yeah. Pinky out, pinky out. Uh, to, I don't know, what do you think? This has been intense. I know, this was intense. This is intense, this I can tell. It's like, you it's hard to get through this at certain stuff. Points. Yeah, I, was, yeah, well, I know I was striking chords, you know, because I know that, if I may, like you, unlike most, unlike my experience, you deal with this. You, this is your sphere where you're, I've seen the Presbyterian meetings. I mean, I don't know if we want to put that on record, but like you've, hmm? 
you, you've been in the battleground, so you've yeah. seen it gone and, bad. And hopefully, you know, what you've, we've seen coming out of these last two years, especially, you know, with all that's been going on, but it's, uh, it's it, hopefully, it was all done. I'm not, you know, I'm, God knows my heart, and, and it's not, remember, there's no, in our system, there's no individual that will ever govern the church. We don't believe in individual. It's gotta be a council. And it's gotta be a council of both, or clear, you know, ordained, but also the lady. It's a beautiful system of checks and balances, in other words. But yeah, hopefully what you would see is a, is a shepherd, we call her shepherd leaders, that our shepherd leaders put the, the interest of Christ and the people of the body of Christ, at, it was about them. How do we protect this church? How do we protect it from that wolf in sheep's clothing that walks through the gate? Um, who's, who's got the training and the anointing of the spirit in order to discern what's a wolf and what's not a wolf? All that has to happen because you've got very young two-year-old Christians in that room along with 50-year-old Christians in that room. We have people of all different breasts. They're all in one, we're all vulnerable to Satan. We're all vulnerable. And impressionable. And impressionable. And that's why we have and we all God loved us not to just leave us like vulnerable with wolves circling the pen. So here's to the shepherds. To the shepherds. To the shepherds. To the checks and balances. To, to the well, ideal shepherds. To a well-ordained government. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, there you go. Huh? All right. You know what to do if you like it. Yeah, we could get some intense questions. Oh, and be sure, but there's still have sorry, time to yeah, get yeah. questions. Sorry, sorry. If you guys have any questions, if you want to spar with us on any things we said today, you know what to do. Yeah, right I'll, to I'll expect it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's honest because this is a very hard and contentious yeah. issue. That's yeah. what it, I think made it hard. Is we know that there's just so much that can't be done in an hour. And it's all. It's also like, I think the other, at least my own thing, it's like. I would love to start a den. I put it this way, real quick. I, I consider myself an entrepreneur. I've, I have a small business. Yeah. I, to me, it's in church planting a church is and and, and I can. This is where. Hear me out. Let me go down the rabbit hole. I'm not saying I'm going to do this. <laughs> I haven't but said be, anything. Good go. I know because I know you're going right, you to. I'm, I'm, I'm cool. waiting for you sharpening the pitchfork. Here. All right, there you go. Um, having that kind of entrepreneurial spirit, having that kind of like ability to see the landscape of things. If it were up to me, I would do things a little differently. Again, if it were up to me, yeah, I'm not sure. saying I'm going to do this. Absolutely. Things like I would want more accountability on every single member and maybe yeah, some yeah. of like. And that just gets down to some very practical issues of, yeah, that's why we have a whole class of new shepherd leaders being trained as I speak. Sure. We need more. Yeah. And God's got to raise those up, but we're not, gonna, we're not going to compromise the integrity of the office and the standards of those office and the so training that they need to be done. So is it sinful for me? So pray for God to send more laborers into the harvest, which is what we're talking about. Why don't you aspire to be an elder? We need more. Right here on tape. Will you commit yourself? No, I'm playing you. No, but that's right. So if we want what you just said, uh, to, for it to become, the more shepherds we have, the more life on life it could get. There is just a reality that these people have a day could, job. My, I guess where I'm trying to paint yeah. And I didn't think I did a good job. Okay. How does a non-denominational become a denominational? I mean, you, I would suggest. Like what's the solution? Yeah, yeah. You know, what are we to do? I know we're talking about, I think talking about it is a form yeah, of solution. It is. You, you, you describe like the healthy 
how it looked like an ideal world, but what the reality I would is start in America. With, at least, if you're like, saying I want to start a church, plant a church, that's what you're kind of asking. I want to go start a new church. Well, the first question is, what kind of church am I going to start? And that's where you're going to need to go and for yourself, I guess, and do a, a study of scripture, but do it with the church. That's the key. And we do that through creeds. We do that through all the things that the church has left us over the years. The creed's not our authority, but the creed is a consensus, a consensus of a particular generation of churches who studied the scripture and came to the conclusion of this. And yeah, we do have more or less three, now maybe four, historic denominations. And denominations all agree that there needs to be governor. That's, that's what we all agree on. So that's the big difference. It's just, how do we do it? What's the apostolic foundation that gives us the, the organization for how to do it? And there's some debate, but they're not, I mean, there's a lot of overlap, honestly. Um, I mean, without it, let's just be extreme real quick. But without what happens it, now is this issue that everyone says is, oh, that's not essential. Really? It's pretty essential that we have a governing body and that government is, is subjected to the extent of their power and the limits of their power so that it's a regulated government. And who would regulate it but Christ? How would he do it but through scripture? So that's how you do it. And without that oversight, I'm ba I know myself, I'm bound to go in the woods and find some golden plates and say, hey, yeah. let's... Well, that would be looking for continuing revelation. We don't believe that. Amen. But it does suggest, I would at least say, that before you would start a new denomination, it, there is at least a question that I think it begs. Is really, after 2,000 years, we really... No one reads scripture right? Or at but, least part, mostly not, right? But that's not, if I may, that's not... That's, I don't think that's the, the that's schism. A little too. That's not the schism of denomination. You can say Lutherism versus Calvinism versus but Baptist. all of them it's, it's very it's, similar. Yeah. Well, but but unfortunately, if you look at those, what happened? Yeah, the Reformation was a big boom schism, and what happened was that yeah, the church was in need of reformation, and in doing that, it set up a high energy study of Scripture about what would that what is right and wrong with the mother church, if you will. And yeah, there were some nuances as to the way that it moved. But again, a reformational church all share a whole lot in common. And it's getting to some of the more, you know, I don't want to say lesser because everything God teaches is important, but, but I think you'd find that there's some overlap. You gotta go. Anyway, that's about all we can do. Thank you. <laughs> we Amen. What do we do? <laughs> just, do we pray? I don't know. She just stood up and went. <laughs> yeah. Oh, did she I go? Rah? Seen, uh, yeah, she stood up and went. Well, I think we'll probably need to. Hey. Hey, Don. You just listened to Smokin' Theologians. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe. Consider a five-star rating and share it with your friends. If you have any questions that you'd like answered on the show, write to us at holler at smokintheologians.com. No G in smoking.